Chapter Eleven of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Eleven: A Morning Walk with Surprising Results, which, as the reader shall presently learn, had much to do with the fates and fortunes of the Lachances. At breakfast on the following morning, Isabel showed the effects of her vigil. She looked paler than usual, and there was a weariness in her eyes. During the meal, she devoted herself to caring for the wants of Philip, Marie, and Charlie. They failed to notice that beyond a cup of coffee and a cracker, she took nothing herself. "'Isabel, what are you going to do this morning?' asked Philip, as he arose from the table. "'I haven't quite made up my mind, dear. Suppose we take a walk as far as the Jesu and hear Mass.' "'And after that, will you go for a walk on Grand Avenue?' asked the boy eagerly. Isabel hesitated before answering. She felt very weak and tired, and the prospect of a walk was anything but inviting. Had she consulted her own feelings, she would have said no at once, but she had regard to the boy's eager face and bright eyes. "'I can wear my new overcoat, you know,' persisted Philip. "'Yes, Isabel, do go,' put in Marie, who, with all the airs of a matron, was filling a cup of coffee for the youngest member of the family.' I think it will do you good, Isabel. You don't look well. Mrs. Dowling just told me that she was afraid you were going to be ill. Charlie and I can keep house, can't we, Charlie? You bet we can. And you'll promise to be good, Charlie? asked Isabel. Toss my heart. I'll do just what Marie says. Very well, then. Philip, get your overcoat. It was a bright morning. The air was clear and cold and the sun shining upon the newly fallen snow dotted the white streets with millions of diamond points. Philip reveled in the snow and the sunshine. He was supposed to talk with Isabel. As a matter of fact, in the joy of health and spirits and a bracing atmosphere, he ran forward and backward and all around her. "'Now, Philip, give me your hand,' called Isabel, as they drew near the magnificent church. "'Don't forget, my dear, to pray hard during the Mass for my intention.' I need prayers very much. You need prayers, echoed the boy incredulously. What do you need prayers for? You're good, Isabel, and it isn't the good that need prayers, but the bad people and people in trouble. You're not in any trouble, are you? Isabel smiled. The boy failed to notice how wan her face had become. Pray for me anyhow, Philip, she said. I am not in trouble now, dear, but I am afraid that it may come. They entered the church just as the priest, vested for mass, came out from the sacristy. The girl knelt during the entire service. Philip watched her, first curiously, then with a feeling of uneasiness. He noticed that her face was sad and troubled. How earnestly she prayed! With her eyes turned upon the altar, she made not the slightest motion, moved neither head nor hand, till all was over. "'If Isabel isn't a saint,' commented Philip to himself, "'then I give up. "'What were you praying for, Isabel?' he asked as they left the church. "'For you, dear, and Marie and Charlie.' "'You didn't look very well, Isabel. I was watching you.' "'But now, Phil, I feel much better. I always feel better after hearing Mass. Now which way shall we go?' "'Go? Why, away out on Grand Avenue!' cried the boy with dancing eyes and making the widest of gestures with his arms." Very well, dear. Perhaps we'd better not go far. I feel tired, 
though I have done nothing to make me feel that way. You're walking slow, Isabel, the boy said a moment later as they passed Twelfth Street. Am I? Perhaps you are walking fast, dear. And Isabel quickened her steps. The morning was still young, and Grand Avenue was not yet bright and gay, with its long double line of sleighing parties, which, on a winter's afternoon, when snow is plentiful, make it a scene of life and splendor such as no one fortunate enough to witness it shall ever forget. But the avenue was not deserted. Snowbirds were hopping and reveling about the streets with the air of proprietors. Men and youngsters were shoveling snow from the sidewalks, and little boys and girls were making their way to school, if not unwillingly, certainly at the slowest of rates. An occasional ball flew through the air, and gay laughter, the laughter of silvery trebles, rippled and played till it was taken up by the jingling music of some passing sleigh. "'Oh, look!' cried Philip as they neared Thirteenth Street. "'Here come two sisters!' Slowly and modestly the two figures in black robes and veils were coming toward our two friends. Isabel raised her eyes, and, at the very first glance, her heart, she knew not why, leaped. She was fascinated. Never for a moment, as they advanced toward her, did she take her eyes away from the two sisters. As they drew near, Isabel had an opportunity of studying their appearance. One of them was very young. Her face gave the impression of a girl masquerading as a nun. Her eyes, it is true, were cast down, not to be seen. Her modesty was fairly faultless. But, for all that, no veiling of eyes and folding of hands could take from her regular features an expression of fun and mischief. Anyone could see that the expression of perfect gravity now on her features would on the least provocation melt away in smiles and laughter. The other sister, though a trifle older, had a girlish appearance too. Certain years of her life had failed to tax the lines of her face, and though more serious, she looked as young as her companion. Her countenance was very grave and sweet. She looked like one who had suffered, and would suffer much because her feelings were tender to an exquisite excess. Their eyes, when not cast down, wandered neither to right nor to left. They appeared to see nothing, though truth compels me to state very little escaped the sharp attention of the younger of the two. "'Look at that little boy and girl, Sister Mary Agnes,' she said to the other. "'They are a fine pair. I dare say that girl is very refined. I wonder who they are. One thing is sure, they are Catholics, and they have just come from church.' "'Mind reading again, Sister Mary Cecilia?' commented the other with a little smile. "'How do you know they have just been to church?' Surely you did not see them coming out, and it's not written on their foreheads. No, it is not written on their foreheads, sister, but it is written on the knees of the young gentleman's knickerbockers. He has been kneeling, and he doesn't care who knows it. Sister, sister, why don't you look at that girl? What a tragic face she has. Do you know, I like her face. She looks so sad, though, poor thing, and her color is very poor, and her eyes are tired. If she were going to our academy, I'd have her laughing all the time. The boy doesn't look troubled, though, Sister Mary Agnes observed. He has such a joyous, friendly, open little face. I like that kind of expression. People with eyes full and open and friendly like his are incapable of telling a lie. He would do very well for a class of little boys. I take no interest in boys, said Sister Mary Cecilia making the remark in tones so sweet and gracious as to deprive her words of all meaning. If he did come, 
I'd soon tease him out of his air of serenity. Little boys are always so perfectly satisfied with themselves. Notice how intently the girl is looking at us, whispered Sister Mary Agnes. Isabel and Philip were now within a few paces of the nuns. The girl's eyes were fixed respectfully, modestly, and with some hidden meaning upon the face of Sister Mary Agnes. Her lips were parted slightly, as though she would speak, and the weariness in her eyes had suddenly given place to a singular look of inquiry. In a word, Isabel's face spoke, though the message was enigmatic. Sister Mary Agnes raised her eyes, and was awaiting momentarily for the words which were to come. But Isabel closed her lips, and contented herself with bowing her head, while Philip, smiling largely, took off his hat with a great flourish, in answer to which salutations the sisters bowed and passed on. "'I wish I had a bit of candy with me,' remarked Sister Mary Cecilia, with pleasant visions of the mighty hat flourish and the far-spreading smile. I hate to pass a nice Catholic little boy without making him feel that it's worth while meeting a sister of charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She gave the full title of her sistertude with much unction. Dear, dear, cried the other in a gentle plaint. I wish I had spoken to that girl. She looked at us so wistfully. I'm sure she wanted to speak to us and that her courage failed her. Poor child. Even though she didn't say one word, my heart bled for her. Sister Mary Cecilia, don't you think we ought to turn back and speak to her? She looks so sick and worn. Tell me, sister, what shall we do? She did look sick. Her face was like the snow. But you are the superiorist. If I were in your place... And I wish you were, interpolated the other. I would go back and ask her whether we could do anything for her, or something of the sort. Dear, dear, I wish we could give her something said the superioress. The only time I feel the vow of poverty and its effects is when I see people in distress. Well, sister, suppose... She stopped suddenly. A clear shriek cut the air, a shriek of terror. They turned at once and beheld a strange tableau. At the southeast corner of 14th and Grand Avenue, Isabel lay prostrate on the sidewalk. Philip had fallen upon his knees beside her, and while wringing his hands was weeping bitterly. Just behind the two stood a man with black spectacles, a heavy beard, and a slouch hat drawn over his forehead. His face was working convulsively, and he was motioning frantically to the sisters to come to the girl's aid. On their moving forward hastily, the man turned and ran down 15th Street as though he had committed some crime. Bestowing no attention on the strange man, Sister Mary Agnes hurried to the side of the girl, who lay with her face, snow upon snow, turned to the December sky. Placing the wan, beautiful head in the hollow of her arm, she loosened the collar with the help of Sister Mary Cecilia. "'Is she dead?' wailed Philip, whose face from its expression of perfect contentment had grown very tender and fearful. Love and terror were writ upon every liniment. "'Did that man say anything to this girl?' asked Sister Cecilia, catching the boy's hand. "'What man?' Philip ceased weeping and stared about in every direction. Didn't you see him? When we turned, there was a man standing behind you, too, with a great rough beard and a big brimmed hat. Was he here? No, we didn't see him now, but I guess he's the man we saw last night at our window. My sister Isabel just fell over after you passed us, without saying a word. Sister Cecilia, help me lift her up, said the superioress. And, little boy, run across the street to that corner. There's a young man coming with a sleigh. 
ask him to come across. Before Philip could execute his message, the driver of the sleigh, seeing what had happened, drove briskly across the street. "'Sisters, can I do anything?' he said, lifting his hat. "'Yes, sir,' said Sister Mary Agnes. "'If you please, bring this girl round to Twelfth and Cedar, the Holy Angels Academy. I will go with you, and Sister Cecilia will walk there with the boy.' Before a crowd could gather, Isabel was helped into the sleigh and whirled rapidly to the academy, which, fortunately, was distant but a few squares. When Isabel came to herself, she was lying on an improvised lounge in the academy parlor. It was a fine room, but very plainly furnished. At the moment, however, Isabel took no note of its appointments. Her eyes rested on the face that was bending over her with an expression at once tender and anxious. It was the face which had so fascinated her the face of the superiorist. "'Is it a dream?' she asked languidly. "'No, my dear, you fainted on the street, and I had you brought here.' Isabel rose quickly to a sitting posture, with alarm on her countenance. "'Philip, where is Philip?' Even as she spoke, she fell back again exhausted. "'Don't be alarmed, my dear. He is on his way here now with the sister, who was walking with me.' "'Thank God!' sighed the girl, the alarm leaving her face at once. Another sister entered just then with a bowl of beef-tea. "'Now, my dear,' said the superioress, "'do as I bid you. Drink this.' "'How kind you are, sister. Thank you so much.' "'Not at all. I thank God who sent you in my way. I hope to do more for you, if you will let me. I was so sorry that I did not speak to you when I met you on the street. I felt sure that you wished to say something to me.' I did, sister. I felt so ill and wretched, and I was so troubled about the future. And then I saw you and the other sister coming, and you looked like old friends to me. When you came nearer, I saw your faces. And there was no trouble and no care upon them. Oh, sister, how happy you did look. Do you always look so happy, sister? No, dear, not always. Because sometimes I forget to be grateful to God for all his goodness but that is the way I should look all the time. Well, sister, I felt in your presence then as though we had been friends for years, and I did so want to speak to you. My name, my dear, and religion is Sister Mary Agnes, and I am Isabel Lachance. The doorbell rang. Excuse me one moment, I think that must be your brother, and the good sister left the room. Isabel lay back and closed her eyes. Consolation had come again, suddenly, unexpectedly. Her heart had warmed at once to Sister Mary Agnes and to Sister Mary Cecilia. On meeting them, she felt that here were the sisters after her own heart. It was a case of love at first sight. Again, in the one delicious moment before she fell unconscious to the ground, again she had heard the angel voices calling. She opened her eyes and gazed about the room. "'It looks to me like home,' she murmured. At that moment, Philip, accompanied by the two sisters, entered. Down, with a suddenness that was startling, crumbled her vision. Not for her the convent walls, the prayers, the daily round of great heroism and little things. Not for her the consecrated life, which is more than poets dream. The care of Philip, of Marie, and of Charlie was her vocation. When ten minutes later they were leaving, Isabel paused at the door. Somehow she could not let go of the gentle hand clasped so warmly in her own. Sister Mary Agnes, I feel like the Perry at the gate of heaven. 
I have looked within and seen the light and the glory, but I must stay without. It is not for me. Good-bye, good-bye. Don't forget us, Isabel, said the sister in a voice strangely soft and with a gentle pressure. She understood Isabel's story by intuition. Forget? That is impossible. I almost wish I could. End of chapter 11